If you have your Bibles, open up to 2 Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Uh, we're going to be in verses 7 through 18 this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, verses 7 through 18. And as you're opening up there, I do want to just say a word of gratitude to all our coaches and volunteers who uh, helped us have such a great, uh, really fantastic basketball season this year. And uh, we rejoice in that. Love that. Um, I can't believe the video of Brent Haney dunking was left off the uh, left off the video, but whatever. You know, you'll have to check that out at some point. Um, anyway, so Second uh, Corinthians chapter ten, verses seven through eighteen. And if you have your Bibles open there, uh, would you mind? This is just something we do for me as much as the Lord. Uh, I don't think he requires us to stand during this time, but it's a good reminder for me that the word of the Lord matters more than the words of Matt. And so if you'll indulge me, just stand with me out of reverence for the reading of the words of our God. Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in such a way that as the words on this page are being read, God himself is speaking to us. Beginning verse 7. Look at what is before your eyes. If anyone is confident that he is Christ's, let him remind himself that just as he is Christ, so also are we. For even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up, not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed. I do not want to, be, to appear to be frightening you with my letters. For they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak. And his speech is of no account. Let such a person understand that what we say by letter when absent, we do when present. Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. But we will not boast beyond limits, but will boast only with regard to the area of influence God assigned to us, to reach even to you. For we are not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you. For we were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. We do not boast beyond limit in the labors of others, but our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged, so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you, without boasting of work already done in another's area of influence. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. Let's pray together. O Lord our God, would you open our hearts and minds to receive your word today, God, and I pray we would be changed by it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I read an interview this week with an author named Ada Calhoun. and She has recently written a book. I've not read the book yet, but I've read this interview with her. A, a book called Why We Can't Sleep. Why We Can't Sleep. And in particular, her focus of research in this work, in this book, is, is what she calls the new midlife crisis. The, the new midlife crisis. And I, want to, I want you to just hear a passage 
from this interview, just something Ada Calhoun said, and she's talking particularly about Gen X, Generation X women who are approaching midlife and, and who are beginning to feel a sort of pressure that perhaps previous generations didn't feel in the same way. And so I, I want you to hear what she said and see if it rings true to you. These are the words of Ada Calhoun. One thing that a sociologist who studies the generations told me is that our generation, that is Gen X, one, one ahead of me, that our generation tends to judge ourselves based on everything. So if you know in the past the question was how nice is your home or how good are you at your job, now it's all of the things. So it's are you a good parent? Are you good at work? Is your house nice? Are you in shape? Are you recycling? It's every single factor in life that you have to excel at. And I think that level of pressure is unsustainable. This is someone in the world who's starting to recognize we are being crushed by our own expectations of ourselves and the expectations that those around us have of us in the title of her book, Why We Can't Sleep, she says, this is why. That, that, that we have a hard time at night. And, and, and everyone in this room, at one point or another, I'm sure, has laid at night and gone over, maybe, maybe not this list exactly, but a list like this. Evaluating, am I really where I thought I would be when I thought I would be there? Am I even going where I thought I would go, much less getting there? You know, this is where we are, folks. This is where our society is, where our culture is. Pressure, comparison, crushing disappointment in ourselves. We are at a place where we feel the constant need and the constant pressure to commend ourselves, to put ourselves forward as the best version of ourselves. And in the midst of all this pressure and everything else, we we start to realize we can't do this forever. So what do we do? We try to have self-care, care for ourselves, recognizing we can't go at this pace forever. And yet I want you to know today, I have good news to you from the Scriptures today. Jesus can set us free. Jesus can give us release from the rat race of life. Jesus can alleviate the pressure we have of trying to commend ourselves Because he gives us the opportunity to instead trust in the commendation of the Lord. So many of us have a a, a flawed view of who God is. We we see God as one more pressure. We we see our our walk with the Lord as just one more pressure. Am I having a quiet time? Am Am I doing this? Am I taking my kids to church enough? No is the answer. I'm just kidding. Just joking. Am I doing all the things? Am I messing my kids up? Am I doing all the things I need to do to, to make these things right? And some of us are on the other end of life, and we're looking back, and, we're, and we feel this pressure of, did I do things wrong? And every time our kids tell us, hey, we're trying this differently in parenting, sometimes we see it like as a, some grandparents see it just as a personal insult. What was wrong with the way we raised you? Well, they're not saying that. Don't we all feel this pressure? Trust in the commendation of the Lord. This morning, I want to show you three truths that I think will help you find rest. That that, that will help you 
forego the bread of anxious toil, as the psalmist talks about, and instead embrace what God has to say about you and what God has to say about you alone. Three truths that will help you rest in the commendation of God this morning. Here's the first. The gospel frees us from comparison. The gospel frees us from comparison. Paul and these Corinthian believers have been uh, through a lot together. And he's still in the middle of this letter that's trying to talk them out of sort of abandoning the gospel and embracing false teaching from some folks there who he's soon to call in the next chapter, he calls them super apostles. These folks that have come in and they're preaching a different gospel than the one Paul preached. And what they're really trying to do is undermine Paul's authority. They're trying to say, this guy's not really an apostle. That's not really what he's like. And so they've been pretty intensely uh, uh, critical of the apostle Paul. And so as Paul begins to talk to them about these things, he, he begins to give them some truths to help, 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 help them deal with this conflict that they're having amongst one another. And one of the first things Paul says in this passage is, look at what is before your eyes, verse 7. If anyone is confident that he is Christ's, let him remind himself that just as he is Christ's, so also are we. In other words, if we're going to have a disagreement, if we're going to struggle with one another over these things, maybe we ought to remind ourselves that we're all believers here. Maybe we ought to all act like Christians together. If anyone thinks he belongs to Christ, amen. I love it. Me too. I also belong to Jesus. So let's bear that in mind. Paul then repeats in some way some of the logic that he's already given us in this letter in 8, 9, 10, and 11 as he begins to talk about just the seriousness of his letters. It seems as if one of the accusations that was made against Paul was that he's all pen. He's all pen. All he does is write. He's got a real big mouth on him when he's writing, but when he comes to see us, you know, he doesn't actually back up what he said. And so Paul makes it really clear. He said, I'm, I'm not trying to frighten you with my letters. I, maybe I overplay the authority I have in my letters sometimes, but I only do it because Christ gave me this authority to build you up, not to destroy you. They say his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and of no account. Let such a person understand, Paul says. He's reminding them of the seriousness of the situation. Let such a person understand that what we say by letter when absent, we do when present. Don't listen to what they're saying. Don't, don't buy what they're saying. Then in verse 12, notice what he says. I, I love this thought as he kind of sums up this section. Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves. But when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. Paul is saying, I, I refuse to get in the rat race with these super apostles. We're not going to get in a comparison game. Now, later in 2 Corinthians, you'll notice Paul uh, goes on to say, listen, if they've got to have qualifications, here are mine. So he, he's not totally abdicating his responsibility to make clear he is an apostle. And yet, at the same way, he will not play the comparison game like they're playing the comparison game. Teddy Roosevelt, my favorite president, said, comparison is the thief of joy. And, and, and if we're being honest, this idea of comparison is really one of the, the roots of a, of a sin that we call covetousness. Covetousness looks at what other people have and says, I want that. 
Not I want something similar, or man, that would be nice, but I want that. that that's what coveting does. It, it sees God's blessings as, as a zero-sum game, something only one person can receive. And so if this person has this, that must therefore mean I can't have that blessing as well. And so comparison then is part of what it means to covet. And yet the title of this point is the gospel frees us from comparison. That's one of the beauties of the gospel, guys. The the gospel of Jesus Christ empowers us and enables us to obey God. If you know the Ten Commandments, you know one of the Ten Commandments is, Thou shalt not covet. That Thou shalt not covet. And so how does the gospel free us to obey God? How does the gospel free us to not covet, to not compare? How does the gospel free us from comparison? Well, first of all, we serve a good God who has given us everything we need. Think about that for a moment. Everything you need to be holy, everything you need to know God fully, to be obedient, Everything you need to have every good work complete in Christ, God has given you. And and God has given you everything He means for you to have. And for that reason, there's no need to compare notes. I tell my kids that a lot. It doesn't matter what I did for them. It It doesn't matter what I did for this child or for that child. You don't need to compare notes. I love you all the same, I promise. And, and you'll probably rob yourself of a blessing if you insist on having the same blessings all across the board. No, I, I love you all. We love you. We want to give you good things. There's no neat reason, no need to compare notes. And so we don't have to compare one another. We don't have to compare ourselves to others. We don't have to play the comparison game because God has given us everything we need. He freely gives us all things in Christ. Furthermore, we serve a good God who loves us infinitely. Therefore, what man has to say about us is irrelevant. We don't have to sit around and wonder whether or not people are saying the same things about us that they're saying about others. You said they were good. You did not think I'm good too? We're clothed as Christians. We're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Therefore, looking to others for approval is not only unnecessary, but it's silly we don't have to play the comparison game. We don't, we don't have to kind of try to weigh who we are and how we are against others. You've all thought it. You've all thought, man, I wish I was good at this as they are. We've all been jealous. We've all compared. We've all thought, if only I were as good at being a husband or a dad or a mom or a wife or this or that. If only I was as good as them, I would really be doing well then. Brothers and sisters, if you're a believer, you're clothed in Christ's righteousness, which means to look to other people for approval or for standards is not only just just not something you have to do, but it's a goofy thing to do. You have everything you need in Jesus. You're clothed in His perfect righteousness. Not only that, but furthermore, our sin is exposed at the cross. If you're a Christian... Your sin is already exposed. You are a sinner who is so desperately wicked that you needed Jesus to die on the cross for your sins. 
That's true of every single human who's ever lived. Your sin is exposed. And the the cross scandalizes all of us because the worst sinner in this room, and y'all don't look around trying to figure it out, but I'm just saying, the worst sinner in this room and the most milquetoast, boring, barely a sinner person in the room. Both equally, 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 the queen of the church and the king of the ditch equally need Jesus to supply righteousness for them. We are all scandalized by the cross. And so what we don't have to do is compare ourselves to one another because at the same time, the best and worst things, this bears repeating, I've said it before, but but it's true and I want you to hear it again. The best and worst things that could possibly be said about you have already been said about you at the cross. You're a sinner in need of a Savior, and the seriousness of your sin is such that the very Son of God had to die on the cross. You are exposed before a holy God and before the world in saying that you need Jesus. You are saying, I am a person whose sin was worthy of death. The worst possible thing is already said about you in Christ. And yet at the same time, the best possible thing is already said about you in Christ. You are loved of God. You have been joined to God through your brother Jesus Christ who died on your behalf. You are loved, you are cherished, and you have had the righteousness of Jesus given to you. And so the worst and best things are already said. Why would we look over our shoulder to try to figure out what we need to be like or who we need to be like? Why would we spend our time in the rat race trying to compare ourselves to one another when the gospel has spoken the word that is better than any man can speak? The word is already out. You're already exposed. You're a desperate sinner who's loved by a marvelous Savior. You're free. You're free from comparison. Second of all, the gospel frees us from boasting. The gospel frees us from boasting. What does Paul say in verse 13? That we will not boast beyond limits, but will boast only with regard to the area of influence God assigned to us to reach even to you. Paul's reminding them of their relationship they have. He brought the gospel to them the first time. And so he's saying, we're not boasting beyond limits. We're not talking about what we haven't done, but don't you recognize we brought the gospel to you. We have a special relationship. For we are not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you. For we were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. We do not boast beyond limit in the labors of others, but our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged. I, I think part of what was being criticized about Paul and his companions by the super apostles at Corinth is they kept saying, why aren't they here? You need them, we're here, why aren't they here? They're, they're boasting about the work they're doing there now. And Paul says, well, the reason why this is the case is because we kind of hoped you guys would be mature enough for us to take the gospel to other places. And, and Paul sort of alludes to this more than once in 2 Corinthians. I, I wish you guys were mature so we could quit dealing with these, these issues so that we can take the gospel all over the world. It wasn't Paul's goal to go stay at churches all the time. He was a church planter. He's taking the gospel. He's a missionary. 
our hope is that as your faith increases, right? In other words, as you have less and less issues, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged. That way you can even begin to send out missionaries and, and we, you can be a base from which we go and you support us in the work. So that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you without boasting of work already done in another's area of influence. Paul's sort of subtly critiquing what these folks are saying about them. He said, we don't have a need to boast about what other people have done like they do. If they want to have something to boast about, they ought to just go share the gospel with someone themselves instead of coming and trying to undo the work we've done. And if you wonder why we're not there, it's because we're trying to take the gospel beyond you. We're ready for you to be healthy so that we can all rejoice together in the spread of the gospel. And then Paul says this, Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. You know, we've all felt the impulse to prove how good we are. To, to demonstrate how great we are through boastfulness. Through telling other people how good we are. And I feel like we tend to only think about boastfulness in worldly terms. And so it's not going to be hard right now to find examples of how to boast in a worldly way. We're in an election year. And so we'll get to see plenty of boasting on TV every night. Folks boast about how great they are, what they've done, and everything else. And so I, I think, I assume, and maybe you don't, but just, just let me just tell you, don't brag. If you got a lot of money, don't brag about it. If you like things are going, going great or whatever else, you're good, you're the best, whatever else, there's no reason to boast about it. Folks know, you don't have to brag. You don't have to boast. But we don't just boast in worldly terms as Christians. We, we don't just brag about, what, how much money we have or whatever else. In fact, we're, we're more cunning than that. We're more subtle than that. Boasting in the Christian life is often a way that we try to prove how Christian we are. It's one of those kind of weird things that happens in Christian cultures. I went to a Baptist college and a Baptist seminary, and I've grown up in Baptist churches, and so I've seen a lot of this. I've seen a lot of posturing demonstrating how Christian we are. But the Bible only gives us faith that leads to good works as proof that we are in Christ. Proof of how Christian we are. And so we ought to let the Holy Spirit do the speaking. It's a symptom of Christian cultures to, to try to be boastful about how Christian they are, to try to create rules, special rules that aren't even really in the Bible to demonstrate I'm an extra special Christian. But the Lord will have none of that in His people. Let the one who boasts not boast about the Lord. Let the one who boasts not boast about how good they are to the Lord. Let the one who boasts not boast about how pious they are in the Lord. Let the one who boasts not boast about how much of the Bible they know. Let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. In other words, the only thing we have to boast about as Christians is what God has done in and through us. Only the work of the Lord. God is the only one we have to brag on. What does boasting in the Lord look like? It demonstrates humility about our own accomplishments. 
We're just humble, as, as Paul is in this section. He doesn't say, hey, you owe me everything. I brought the gospel to you in the first place. Very subtly and very humbly, he helps them see, hey, look, we've done what we've done, but it's only been the Lord through us. We're not trying to get outside our sphere of influence. We're not trying to take credit for things we haven't done. We're just trying to demonstrate humility about what we've done, recognizing it's God who's worked through us. And that's the second thing you must remember if you're going to boast in the Lord. You've got to remember that it's the Lord who works in us and through us. You're not doing it on your own. And third of all, if you want to boast in the Lord, we've got to tell about what He has done, not humble brag about what we have done. Tell about what God has done. Talk about what the Lord is doing. Not sort of acting like, well, you know, if the Lord hadn't used me, I don't know who who He'd have used. If God hadn't had me, listen, I know it was Him, but I don't know. I don't see anybody else around doing what I do. No, we tell what God has done. But for the grace of God, there go I, wherever that may be but not to where He has you today. We don't humble brag about what we've done. We tell of what God has done. Now listen, we are all addicted to boasting because we all feel the need to demonstrate who we are and what we're about and what we've done, and yet we must be the sort of people who allow the cross to speak for us, who allow Christ to speak for us, who allow the Spirit to speak for us. And so not only does the gospel free us from boasting, Not only does the gospel free us from comparison, but finally the gospel frees us from commending ourselves. It's a little more general than the other two, but still true. Verse 18, For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. Don't you see what Paul's doing in 2 Corinthians? He's, he's refusing to accept the premise of the critique from, from these folks who are at Corinth criticizing him. He's saying, we're not talking about a fleshly battle here. We're not talking about who can boast about themselves the most. We're not talking about comparing each other to each other. Those who do that sort of thing have no knowledge. They're without understanding. I'm not going to get dragged into, Paul says, a contest with people who seek to boast in the flesh. What does he say? He says, it's not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. In our flesh, our tendency is to commend ourselves. But I want you to know that the overwhelming thrust of the Bible, what the Bible is constantly pointing the Lord's people to, is that we must be commended by God and God alone. It's one of the great beauties of the gospel. Only what Jesus says about you matters. Only the word that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel, the very blood of Christ. Only the word of Christ matters when it comes to us. Some of us can't sleep. Some of you can't sleep. You're so eaten up with your own success or your failures, with your worries, with your own commendation. That rest feels impossible. Some of us can't be satisfied. Nothing's enough. Some of us are looking for things, people, lovers, money, status to commend us. 
Some of us are looking to have bigger baptism records or bigger offerings or more people in the pews. But why wouldn't Jesus be enough for you? Why? Why is Christ not enough? Those of you who are chasing those things, why isn't Jesus enough for you? What's keeping Jesus from being enough for you? What's keeping you from saying, you can have all this world, but give me Jesus? Wouldn't you today turn from your toil? Wouldn't it be so nice just to not worry? Wouldn't it be so great not to care about keeping up? Wouldn't it be nice just to have a few minutes without the pressure? And some of you may be going to different bad decisions to try to get a, a little bit of relief from those things. And yet, that little bit of relief, when it's gone, all the other stuff just seems to get worse. Turn away from those things. Don't eat the bread of anxious toil. He gives to His beloved sleep. You know, one thing I've learned in my life, no matter what I accomplish, no matter what I do, no matter what folks say or whatever else, I still, 34 years old, I still really want my dad to be proud of me. And I've got real clever ways that I try to set him up to say he's proud of me, you know. And he's really good at giving it to me anyway. I mean, he's a good dad, loves me, cares about me. So I'll be like, don't you think that's cool, you know? No matter what I do, no matter what I accomplish, no matter who says what I'm doing is good, one word from my father goes a long way. One word from my dad can make me feel so much better about whatever it is I'm doing. Preaching the gospel. What does your father say about you? What, what does your heavenly father say about you? Won't you this morning let it be enough? Let it be sufficient to be the one that the Lord commends? I want to offer an invitation this morning. If you've never put your trust and your faith in Jesus Christ, if you've never taken Jesus by the hand and let Him introduce you to your Father, who can speak a word about you that you so desperately need, today, I believe if you'll turn from your sins, turn to Jesus and grab that hand by faith, today you'll meet God and you'll find the rest your soul so deeply longs for if you'll put your trust and faith in Jesus. And second of all, you may say, Pastor, I'm a believer, but, but I've been trying to commend myself. I've been worried about what other people say or think more than I'm worried about what God says or thinks. This altar is open for you this morning. And finally, you may be looking for a church home. I'd love to talk to you today about what it means for you to be a member here at First Baptist Church. After this prayer, I want to invite you to come. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, our God.
We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his gospel. And God, we thank you for the gracious, loving commendation that comes from you and you alone. And Lord, we pray today that we would find our hope, our peace, our rest in that glorious truth. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.